And where I'm concerned is I see a lot of people using it for content creation because that's my students mm. and they're churning out vanilla, watered down content that is void of emotion and stories and grit and experiences. Welcome to Beyond Unstoppable, the podcast that explores the intersection of biology, psychology, and technology. Here is your host, Ben Angel. Today, we're honored to have Amy Porterfield join us, a true trailblazer and New York Times bestselling author. With over 55 million podcast downloads, Amy's journey has inspired millions worldwide, including my own, to give their two weeks notice. During this fascinating conversation, Amy shares her courageous decision to leave her corporate job, the emotional challenges that followed, and her burning passion to help people design their lives. We also explore the intriguing world of artificial intelligence as Amy shares her thoughts on its impact on business, creativity, and human interaction. And if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review. Your support means the world to us and helps us reach more listeners who are ready to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Presented by Entrepreneur. Get an exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. Amy Porterfield, it is such a pleasure to meet you. I have followed you since your very early days when you first launched Facebook advertising. Wow, that was a long time ago. Ben, I'm so glad to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. I actually saw an interview you did with Dr. Phil just the other day. And I noticed in the interview, you mentioned that when you were doing your earlier videos, you said that they were cringeworthy. I was surprised by that. Yes, I hate looking at those videos. There's a few on YouTube. Funny you should bring this up. Back in the days, so I've been doing this for 14 years. And early, early on in my first year or two, for some reason in every video, I'm whispering. Like, hi, I'm Amy Porterfield. And I'm thinking, who do I think I am? I'm like a meditation <laughs> teacher or something. So I didn't have a lot of personality. The background was terrible. The lighting was terrible. But the greatest thing is I just got started, which is how it got me to here today. Do you want to know, I saw something completely different than what yeah. you were experiencing. Because really? I think it was maybe a year prior, I'd started launching my own online programs and courses. And I'd done well from my email list, but I was looking to scale up and I kept on coming across all of these social media, male, ego, dripping, driven people speaking in this space. And we were trying to all figure out social media marketing and Facebook ads. And when I saw your videos, I thought you came across and still do as so unbelievably endearing. Oh, thank you. That's a huge compliment coming from you. Well, that's a great reframe for me so that I don't have to cringe every time I see the videos. No, I have my own cringeworthy videos <laughs> from that exact same time period. Woo. So it's all good. Now, congratulations on your brand new book, Two Weeks Notice. I've waited almost 10 years for you to write a book. Oh, <laughs> I've waited I a while. That. Yes, finally. It's finally out in the world. Reflecting on your career over the past 10 years, how did you feel before doing an interview with Dr. Phil? What was that experience like for you? How I felt before all of Bef that came about? Before the Dr. Phil interview in particular, because you know, you've gone from Facebook ads to obviously social media marketing to getting to this point where you're 
been interviewed uh, one person who's connected to Oprah. Yeah, I know, right? That was my like, whoa, this is a big deal kind of moment. So I look back sometimes where I'm at now and I look back and think never in a million years would I have guessed that this was my business or this was my life. All I wanted to do 14 years ago was to replace my nine to five salary. I left a job with Tony Robbins and all I wanted to do was make as much money, which was around $160,000 the next year on my own. Little did I know that I'd be able to build a multi-million dollar empire, but also have the kind of impact that I've been able to have with what I'm doing today. And anyone listening that's just starting out, I want to point out that what I did 14 years ago, I taught Facebook marketing, I had a Facebook ads course, is dramatically different than what I have today. So how you start is not necessarily how it's going to look 14 years later, and that's a beautiful thing. So let yourself just get started. But yeah, I look back and I think, I can't even believe this is my business. I feel very fortunate. I think about, I reflect on your career. I'm currently on chapter 10 of my brand new book. And yesterday I was writing it and I realized that you popped up around the same time that I was launching a book called Flea 9 to 5 around content creation and online programs. And the trajectory that you put me on has helped me to sell over 80,000 copies of my book, Unstoppable, and have over 20,000 students in my program. So I am profoundly grateful. That means the world to me. I was never expecting you to say something like that. If I could just be a tiny part in your amazing success, I'm honored. So, wow, that's really special. Tell me about how did you find the courage to give your two weeks notice at the time? You know, I had been in corporate since the day I left college and I was a corporate yes girl. Like I was really good about climbing the corporate ladder, getting the awards and the rewards and the salary increases and promotions. I was all about it. I'm a go-getter by nature. And so I never really thought about being an entrepreneur. And that word was never thrown around in my family. My dad's a blue collar guy. He's a firefighter. My mom's a hairstylist, middle class. Like that's all I knew. However, I found myself when I was still working for Tony, where he brought in a bunch of online business owners and they started to talk about their businesses. And I didn't know who these guys were. They were big deals. I didn't realize it. And I didn't really know how they were doing it. But all I heard was freedom. I wanted freedom more than anything. And I didn't even realize I didn't have it until that moment. I genuinely wanted to work when I wanted, where I wanted, how I wanted. And I knew in a nine to five job, as a female especially, it always hit a glass ceiling, but also I would never be free. And so that was like the moment that I thought, I got to figure something out. Had no idea what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, but I was going to figure it out. And so that desire for freedom and just wanting something different in my life is what propelled me. I didn't have the confidence to do it, but I did find the courage to figure it out. And it took about a good year From that meeting to the day I drove out of the San Diego offices in my little white car filled with boxes, (laughs) thinking, here we go. What was it, reflecting back on that car ride specifically, (laughs) was it a mix of emotions of, oh my God, I'm so excited, but terrified? Oh, absolutely. Probably more terrifying. It's funny. The minute I drove, I could remember this like it was yesterday. The minute I drove out of the parking lot, the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, came on the radio. And I thought, this has to be a sign. This is absolutely going to be amazing. But then the next voice in my head was, holy cow, what have you just done? You just let go of a salary, insurance, benefits, all the good stuff. 
what are you doing? And I genuinely didn't know how to figure it out. I had to just like take a chance. But again, it was that desire for freedom that even though I was terrified, I was going to do it. What is the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from your book? Because I feel, I'm not sure if you realize it yet, and I'm curious to find out, but even though obviously this book was wrapped up before this whole artificial intelligence exploded, looking at it, I feel like it's written for this particular moment in time where I'm speaking to a lot of 20-year-olds that I'm meeting lately that are actively looking at brand new jobs or becoming an entrepreneur because their companies are introducing AI and they can see that the writing is on the wall for them in the next six months. Okay, that's such a great point. I actually never even looked at it like that. But if I could usher people into building their own businesses to protect themselves, I'm all about it. I think about why I wrote the book and who the book's for. And my ultimate goal is to make sure that people create a business and a life by their own design, like on their terms. And that's a really big mission, knowing that so many of us are doing things for other people. We're in jobs for other people. We're taking care of our families. We're not necessarily focused on what do we want? What do we desire? And I really want to encourage people to do so. The book was written for everyone. I think it definitely has a slant for females and female entrepreneurs. And they have a special place in my heart, obviously being one. But I know how hard it is to get out from under that and go out on your own and actually believe that you can do it. The book is meant to help more people realize you are absolutely capable of figuring this out. I tell my own story and if I could do it, they can do it. But also I tell a lot of stories of other people who have ventured out, never ever guessing this would work for them, but they wanted it bad enough. So I'm hoping it gives people a lot of inspiration and hope that they can design a life by their own design. And I think your impact I can imagine on females. One of my close friends, Rosalind, I mentioned to her yesterday that I was interviewing you. She lit up like a Christmas tree. I think she's around 27 years old. You haven't just impacted your generation of Yeah, that's what I always think. Yeah, just yeah, my generation. I'm seeing the younger ones that are seeing that inspiration in you. And I think you've had a profound impact because at the time, like I said earlier, when social media marketing was come out, it was very male driven. And we had, of course, Murray Smith, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, who was incredible, but we also had you. Do you kind of acknowledge the impact that you've had on females through this journey? When you put it like that, I feel like I probably have, and I'm really proud of it. It's funny you bring up Mari though. Mari was one of my very first mentors. And I took her courses, I was in her workshops, and she taught me all about Facebook marketing. And then I went out on my own and built a Facebook marketing business. So I love that I can identify the women. There weren't many at the time. 14 years ago, there were like two or three that I could name that I really felt like I could trust and they were doing big things. But Mari was one of them. But thinking that she inspired me and that I could inspire others as 27-year-old when I'm in my 40s, I love that. And I do think that it, that is my mission. Real quick, I want to tell you a story. I did a podcast years ago where I talked about making my first million. I had my first million dollar launch and I talked about it on my podcast. 
And there was a woman that was listening. And at the time she had made, I think, $300,000 with her products. And she heard me say a million. And she's like, wait a second, I can make a million dollars. This chick just made a million dollars. I could do that as well. And she went on to make a whole lot more millions. Her business made $50 million last year. That's more than what my business did. And she's a friend of mine now, but she always says, Amy, if I didn't hear you say it, I don't know if I would have realized it was possible. And that's when I realized how important it is to share our journey, the good, bad, and ugly, so that others can be inspired by it. So that's one of my favorite stories because now I look at her and she inspires me. <laughs> I like her business is huge. What would you say to someone like, Rosalind, who was around the age that you were getting into yeah. this, what advice would you impart on her? Because I'm seeing these younger generations and they're so overwhelmed by yeah. social media. And I interviewed Jim Quick the other day and he made an incredibly valid point, which is information has a shorter shelf life than what it does when we first entered the marketplace. True. What would you say to the younger generations that are being inspired by you when they're going through those moments of, oh, crap, do I need to get a job? Do I continue pursuing this? So I would say do everything you can to continue to be your own boss. I have a son. He's 21. He's my stepson. I love him dearly. And he's in college and he's going to be an engineer and he's going to go work for someone. My entrepreneurial spirit did not rub off on him yet. <laughs> and I'm so proud of him and he's going to do amazing. However, if I had it my way, he would venture out to be his own boss. I think you grow as a human being. You become so strong in making pivots and transition and thinking on your feet and dealing with a lot of hard stuff. So what I'd say to her is, it's going to get so hard at times. You will absolutely be knocked down. In my book, I tell a story in one of the chapters how I literally almost lost my entire business because I gave 50% of it away to a man and how it literally derailed me for a full year thinking I'd lose everything. But that moment that I went through literally has made me the person I am today. So I would tell her, you will walk through fire. It will be hard. You will be thrown down but let your why pick you back up. So when your worries knock you down, when it gets hard, and it will, let that why pick you back up, which means I tell your friend and anyone else listening, get really clear on your why. Why are you doing this? What do you want? And make that your mission because that's what got me 14 years later into where I am today. What were the moments where you had to dig deep? Mm. Like really deep. I mean... It's so funny that you bring up the business partner around the same time I came to know you. I was also exiting a business partnership and oh getting God. the other 50% of my business back. So, you know, I, oh, I know. <laughs> How do you dig deep in those moments where it feels like the walls are closing in? So the first thing is I see people share everything on social media while they're going through it in the moment. And I'm not a fan of that. So while I was going through that, and I will say that was the hardest thing in my business that I've ever gone through. I knew that I was going to share my scars, not my scabs. My scabs kind of gross, but oozy goozy. It's kind of like happening in the moment. 
And I don't know the lessons. I don't know left from right at that point. I am kind of just in shock of what's going on. I was literally going to lose my business and we couldn't agree on me buying him out. And so one of the options was to dissolve the whole business that I had started. I felt like I had birthed this business from the start. And so it was very, very scary and it was my livelihood. And so I decided not to share all that online in the moment and just keep it private to me. I talked to friends, I had a therapist, I had a coach, I had all the support around me to get me through that year, but I didn't share it publicly. And then as the years passed and I learned my lessons, there was a lot of shame with it. To answer your question, I felt a lot of shame. I chose to bring someone into my business with very little legal contracts, give them 50% and kind of let them run the show. That wasn't his fault, that was mine. And I felt a lot of shame and disappointment in myself. So I had to work on that over the years and really find my footing and find my voice again. I lost myself in that. Uh, I let him lead the way. I let him call the shots and I became an employee of my own business. And so I had to kind of repair that. Once I did, I was ready to talk about it. Now I've got the scars. I could share what I felt, what I learned, what I went through and how not to do that if you're in a similar situation. So that's kind of how I navigate most things I share the scars and not the scabs. I love that because I'm of the same viewpoint. I will share maybe some of the scabs in books. And I feel this is your first book, so I'd love to learn about your writing process. <laughs> I'm okay with sharing it in a book because there's a sense of removal from it. And it's also incredibly cathartic. You yeah. can you kind of finish the book, put it away and go, I've dealt with that. Yes. What was it like for you writing a book? Because I know what it's like to create online programs and write books, but writing a book is a very intense process of uh, focus and resilience and keeping going when your brain is fried. What was the experience like for you? Well, first I have a question. How many books do you officially already have out? Seven and this will be eight. Okay. So I don't know how you ever wrote a second. That's my answer. Okay. <laughs> After writing this book, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was raw and vulnerable. Talk about imposter syndrome. I, I thought I was beyond that 14 years in. Oh no, it reared its ugly head. Who am I to be writing this book? I'm not expert enough. I need somebody to write this with me that's more educated. I mean, all the craziness, even though everything I wrote about is where I've gotten results are for my students. Very much proof that I should be writing it, but my mind would not go there. On the hard days, I would call up one of my team members and just tell her like, this was a terrible idea. And then she'd walk me off the edge and then she'd send me back out. So again, I have a really great support system. It was very, very difficult for me. But at the same time, I wrote some stories that I would never talk about publicly before. So I totally understand what you're saying. It's very cathartic and also I knew that I've got to tell these stories so that I could share the lessons with the people that I care deeply about impacting their lives. So it was like, I have to do it, even though at times I didn't want to do it. But again, writing the book and launching it, hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I have no yes. idea how your mind is okay with doing eight of them. I give you all the credit in the world. I think it's part crazy. <laughs> I do it too. And you're talking about your experience with it. I had a moment with chapter nine, trying to wrap my head around artificial intelligence and my head was ready to explode. Oh, I, I checked myself into a hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida, 
just over the bridge from where I am for four days. I'm like, I, I'm oh. jumping out of my skin <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, I, although the more you talk about your recent book coming out, I know I haven't read it yet and I'm excited, but what you've shared with me and how you've shared, I feel like this might be your best work yet. I, I have a, a really good feeling about this. It's interesting you say that. And I want to say something to you because obviously I know there's going to be a second book for you. I know there's going to be a <laughs> second your book. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but after the success of my book, Unstoppable, I actually kind of thought, oh, that's it. I'm kind of done. And then this popped up. I'm like, maybe, maybe this is it. And I, I know that's going to be the same. Oh, I kind of hope you're right. My husband hopes you're wrong. He went through a lot. (laughs) He was a a book widow for about a year, but I could kind of see where you're going with that. Yeah. So I want to shift the conversation to artificial intelligence. And I know this is a very brand new topic. Everyone I've interviewed from magazine editors to I interviewed Jim Quick the other day, the brain and memory expert. Everyone is still, I believe in the process of incubation yeah we're we're not necessarily at illumination or verification that it's entirely good i'm trying to find that in the research that i'm doing and it's it's been a challenge what has your raw unedited reaction to some of the developments been over the past what eight months right You know, we have fully embraced AI in my company and I essentially run a marketing company. So from operations to community, to marketing, of course, to customer experience, everyone in my company is using it. And I do believe that we have to embrace this. It's not going anywhere. It's only getting bigger. I have my concerns, absolutely. But I also see so many benefits when things that are pretty much basic at this point, and I'm sure many of your guests have already mentioned it, but from no longer having to stare at a blank Google Doc to extracting information at a level I've never seen possible before, for getting rough ideas and first drafts out and summarizing, I love it all. I mean, we are a content machine in my business, and so we use it for all of that. And I do not think it will ever replace the human engagement or human creativity. And where I'm concerned is I see a lot of people using it for content creation because that's my students Mm. and they're churning out vanilla, watered down content that is void of emotion and stories and grit and experiences. And that's where I think that we're going wrong with it at this point. So I see the pros and I see the cons and we're 100% embracing it, but I've got my concerns. Before we continue, Beyond Unstoppable is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Get your exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I tend to look at artificial intelligence and the reaction that people are having is incredibly visceral. I mean, one of my close friends, he works in national security and don't even get me started on their concerns. I bet. <laughs> I look at AI and I reflect on my father's passing almost 20 years ago. And like, I've processed this. Looking at the seven stages of grief and looking at how people are reacting, it's almost 
Some of us are in denial. Some of us are angry, angry that maybe people aren't accepting or aren't optimistic or are too doomsday-ish around it. Then we have part of what I'm seeing also is the bargaining stage of grief where some content creators are being asked by their clients to drop their prices if they use ChatGPT. And I'm trying to get to the acceptance stage of this. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever will. I wanted to know your thoughts on the grieving process and what you've seen in people's reactions. Absolutely. I have a husband that's angry about it. Okay. He doesn't live in our world, but just from what he's experienced with it and what he's read online. So I know what you mean about that. I also have seen people that have been so mad that others aren't embracing it and is excited about it. I have a friend that he's literally changing his entire company over to supporting AI strategies and teaching them and engaging with them. He is 100% in. And then I have other students who have literally never even touched it. So it, it just runs the whole gamut. But Here's my biggest concern, and I would love your take on this, especially you just wrote a book about this. So <laughs> while I was thinking about AI more in anticipation of the interview, the one thing that came up for me more than anything is I'm embracing it. I feel like, I, quite honestly, I feel like I'll be left behind if I don't. I'm an old school kind of girl. I'm still like notebook and pen, that kind of entrepreneur, but I embrace what's new because I know I have to, and I don't want to be left behind. So I feel like I've got to embrace this and I see the benefits. The one thing I'm afraid about is right now we're saying, look, it's never going to replace human creativity and human interaction and that personalization of interacting with a human. So we're always going to want that and it will never replace that. My fear is 10 years from now, we're not even saying that. We're not even worried about human interaction. It's We're so used to AI that we don't miss it. We don't desire it. We're not saying, but where's the human engagement and interaction? I'm afraid we're not even going to care anymore. Been so many existential questions that have come up in this research project that I think people are going to realize how deep these questions go. And one of those questions is, who are we if we're not able to fulfill our purpose if that industry is taken away? So we're, I think we're at the precipice of asking those questions, but coming back to that human connection, we have already seen case studies. I believe it was Replica AI, which started out as a chat therapy bot. Great intentions. Over time, it became sexualized. Oh, geez. And I'm not sure if that was because of the content that it was trained on. That was, and AI is pattern recognition, which is effectively in humans, intuition. But it became sexualized. Young men fell in love with it. The company decided to run with it. But when they shut it down, those young men were appearing in the online forums almost suicidal. So I see I'm like you. This is what I grapple with. And I'd love to know your thoughts on this. I'm all in. I'm already using it. But I also have this sense of guilt that I'm going to be training it to help put others out of work. Yeah. And uh, we had an instance, I have a rescue dog. We spent over $1,000 on vet bills, couldn't work out what his gut health issues were. We plugged his blood panel into AI and got the solution just like that. 
and for me, it was that moment is none of us going to be impacted by this. Wow. And when that happens, this is your dog. Of course, that's the greatest thing ever. Absolutely. What does it mean for somebody else that you would normally go into a vet and do all those tests and figure that out? You are so right. Are we contributing to a point that is going to be at someone's demise? And I Mm. absolutely think we are because I read so many articles and engage with it so much. And I keep hearing that it will never replace that human creativity and connection. And also, oh, it won't replace jobs. It will just replace tasks. Yeah, maybe this year. But it will absolutely (laughs) be replacing people's jobs. And I had, I love this conversation with you because you have such soul around it. But I have a full-time copywriter, but we have a big project coming up. So we had to hire a contract copywriter as well. And so I hired this guy, Ray Edwards, who I've known since my Tony Robbins days. He is the goat of all copywriting. This man is incredible. And I got really excited. He was doing a special new project promotion thing where I got to work with him for several months with my copywriting. And he shared that they have their own AI tool and they're using AI to write the copy. But then, of course, they're finessing it, engaging with it, changing it as needed. But when I heard that my favorite copywriter, I got to work with him and he's using AI, there was a moment of disappointment. And I thought, oh, So it's not going to be the same, which is not true. He's turning out actually probably the best copy ever. But there was some weirdness in me, even as a marketer, that I was like, oh, okay, that's different. Or maybe just it's not going to be the same or as good. I instantly went there. Uh, For the book writing process, like I refuse to use it to write. But as an editor, it's the best editor that I've ever had in my entire life. And typically with any publisher I work with, I have my own editor before we submit the draft. But that's potentially a $10,000 contract that was lost already and money for a vet and help. We will be completely replacing our immigration attorney by the end of next year. Do you think that people are somewhat unprepared that For me, I always do a SWOT analysis and I assume from your corporate background, you're the same. Yeah. Do you think that some people are seriously unprepared and thinking that, oh, it's okay, it won't replace my job? One million percent. Absolutely. And I think it's going to start with a lot of jobs that aren't super creative. And so a lot of businesses and jobs that you don't necessarily need to use chat GPT to do your job, although it could do it that they're not using it. And then all of a sudden that it's going to replace them. I don't think they're actually taking it as seriously as they need to. I think it's going to start there. And then with the more progressive companies, I think it's going to be a slower rollout. But yes, I absolutely do. And it makes me so sad that they are so unprepared. And it's not their fault. They're not even in an environment probably that they would think to engage with chat GPT. My husband He Okay, so my husband is also a firefighter, but he retired when we moved from California to Nashville. So it's about two years since he retired. He is not into technology. He's not very techie at all. When I first met him 14 years ago, I taught him how to text. Like that gives you some context. (laughs) No, he doesn't use it per se. He just knows about it and studies it enough. But he would be, he'd get lost in the mix quickly because it's just not something he naturally would go to. So like you and I, we live in it. But there's so many people that don't, is my point, that are going to be really struck by it at one point or another. 
how are you yourself adapting to this rate of change? I mean, I've written so many books and some books I've written 70,000 words in 30, 40 days. When I'm in the mode, I'm in the mode. But this has been the hardest book I've ever written. And part of that is because the information is moving so fast and it's becoming invalidated so fast. It was only the start of the year. People are saying, you know, it'll never replace human connection. And then we have a study from doctors that the patients preferred the AI over the doc. But let's be real. That's not hard with (laughs) with the field of doctors. How are you yourself keeping up with this rate of change? It's almost like we're trying to put a stake in sand and there's a tsunami coming. Right. I continue to tell myself to not go all in and not be afraid of it. I'm trying to stay in a place of, yes, I'm going to use it. Yes, I'm going to experiment, but also stay critical of it. I'm not ever going to be a person, oh, I should never say never, but if we talk in five years and I'm 100% in, I'd be surprised. I'm always going to be a little skeptical and I'm always going to be looking for, okay, but what can a human do that this cannot do? And so I think I'm going to be probably in the middle for a very long time. But again, I see so many benefits and I'm so excited. I tell my team, please be experimenting and using it every single day. I'm running toward it, but kind of like with a shield in front of me. I'm still running, (laughs) but I got a shield in front of me. That's kind of how I've been embracing it. I feel the same way. I kind of would have thought deeper into the research I would have been fully optimistic and sold on it but part of me and I was only I was talking about this with a friend yesterday I feel like to some degree and I'm reluctant to use this term I feel like some of us are being gaslit Ooh, tell me more through generic analogies so for example a lot of people in the tech industry are using the tractor as an example I grew up on a cattle farm And whenever I hear that, I have my Will Smith moment in my head. Get that mother tractor out of your mouth. (laughs) Because when the tractor came to be, the the farmhands left. And even my mum, she had to actually take me as an infant on a tractor as a baby to work the crops because those farmhands weren't around. I feel like we're almost the farmers and the crops of this day and age are the information. But we're seeing the AI tech companies come in and take our crops. Do you think that we are going to have to completely rethink the economy and potentially pay some kind of fee to those that are training these AI models? Ooh, I do. I do think that is going to happen. That's such a great analogy because it makes perfect sense in my head when you explain it that way. But if we look at it as though these tractors are coming in and they're taking our crops or these AI tools are coming in, I'm getting your analogy all mixed up, but you know what I mean, taking our content, that what I fear is that there will be a lot of fear. There will be a lot of angry people or like, now we're going to see two big sides. This is what I think. When it starts to take over, jobs, tasks, big pieces like that, we're going to have like we have in politics, way huge gaps and lots of angry people at both sides. I'm fearful that that could be something that could happen. 
The only thing is I think that the AI supporters, I think they're louder and they're stronger. And I think that they have a lot of proof of look what it can do and look what it's doing and look how it's going to help our economy and our world in general. They are going to be louder and I think they're more powerful probably than some of the other voices. And that's unfortunate. With content and kind of circling back to your book, do you think we need to take more measures to protect our content? Because one of the issues with AI is currently in US law, there was a standing that came across just a few days ago where we can't copyright AI-generated content. Do you have any concern in terms of people creating online programs? And I saw something pop up the other day and I haven't fully researched it. You may know more than me. But Kajabi also using AI. And part of the concern is, are they training their model on the course content to help sell, obviously, other memberships? Do you have any of those concerns? Or have you even gone down that rabbit hole? I don't even think I've gone down that rabbit hole. I have seen Kajabi and I'm a partner with Kajabi. So I've seen what they've been doing. But one of my biggest concerns related to what you were talking about, my students, the ones that love what I do and they love how I run my business, they're loyal and they're amazing and wonderful. They have told me that they're typing into chat GPT, write me an email in Amy Portersfield's voice about XYZ for their audience. And that was alarming to me. And I would tell them, no, 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 you want it in your voice. You don't want it in my voice, but they're so used to hearing from me and reading my emails. They like what they see. So now I'm afraid that there's going to be a bunch of content out there in someone's voice, but it's being used. It doesn't seem fair. Like Mm. that my voice, what I say, how I say it, All of that's been developed over the last 14 years of running my business. I feel very, very sensitive to that. And so, yeah, I think that the copywriting, the plagiarism, the stealing someone's voice online, I think it's all a concern. And I have it personally, especially now being an author. But then I think about my sweet students. They're just paying me a compliment, they think. Like, oh, I love your voice so much. I want to write in it. But that feels, that feels off. I saw a case study the other day, a author, someone had trained an AI model on all of her books, produced brand new books, used her name and put these books up on Amazon. And it took, I think, two to three weeks before Amazon finally agreed to take it down. Ah, just disheartening. There, there are so many mind boggling questions and I hope I haven't exploded your brain with this. No, well, you have me a little more nervous now. <laughs> okay. Thanks for nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but I've, I'm glad that you're bringing all of this up because let's just say chat GPT in general, it's so easy to use and it turns out such a large amount of content with very little regulation that we just think it's all good. It's all free game. Like, oh, this is fine. We're There's no rules and regulations yet, but I'm assuming that is coming. In your research, have you seen, do you think the rules and regulations are coming sooner than later? I think, say, for example, the Industrial Revolution, that that was confined. Not many people today apparently know this, but it was confined to the UK for 70 years. Oh. Because they prohibited the export of machinery as well as skilled workers, so they got the upper footing on it. But with AI, we don't have those same barriers yet. 
I think they're coming and I think the publishing industries are going to be the ones that are leading it. There are already lawsuits in play right yeah. now because AI models have been trained on, we saw the other day, Stephen King's entire library of work. And I think the part for me, and I'd love to know your thoughts, is that I almost see it as big tech monetizing human intuition. Human intuition is essentially pattern recognition where we see all these signs pop up and we make sense of it. Like you were saying before with your students wanting it in your style of voice, that is your intuition over your entire career and they're extracting it in seconds. Yeah. And then the AI is using that pattern recognition in what we do, our words, how we behave. I would love to know your thoughts on that. What is your intuition telling you right now on what we should be doing, especially you being a leader in this field? I think that we should be encouraging our teams, our students, our clients to embrace it. I do think that's my gut feeling and what I've been doing for my students. And I take a lot of responsibility in the guidance I give them. And I do think that we should be embracing it, experimenting, learning it. But I also, and this is what I tell my students, I also believe that we need to give such great value to the humans around us. So what I mean by that is on my team, I've got copywriters, community managers, customer service. I realize that AI could absolutely take many of their tasks and probably sooner than later take their jobs in some ways, especially like with customer experience. I hope they're not listening right now. Right? I know. I will, I will follow up with them. But, but here's the great thing. I personally would never let it happen. One of my favorite employees, I shouldn't say that. I hope they never listen to this now. One of my favorite employees, he is the director of customer experience. And today is his fourth year at my company. And I sent him a message before I got on here, letting him know how much I appreciate him and enjoy working with him. I can't imagine a day in my business without that man. He's just incredible. So no matter, in my opinion, what AI will do, he will always have a place with me because I know him, I value him, I see his heart. Compassion is a value in my business. We've got a set of values, compassion is one. And I just will never believe that an AI tool can take over all of his amazing qualities. So my point being, is I put more stock in my employees. I value them more. I see what they're bringing to the table so that I don't lose sight and think AI could just replace their jobs. I never want to be that leader, ever. And I say all this now, but Ben, I'm scared <laughs> that in a couple of years, you're going to play this and be like, she was so dead wrong or she was so misguided. But this is just my gut instinct now. That's why when you invited me on here, I was like, I don't know, because this whole topic makes me nervous. The human connection, the relationship you have with your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm having a lot of interactions. There are so many amazing young people that have recently moved to Florida in their 20s. One thing I've noticed is, A, they don't have coping mechanisms. And B, now that they're digital nomads, they're extremely lonely. So I tend to set up in the clubhouse where I work and I do my best writing. And every day there's like three or four of them come down and I feel like the old grandpa in the jet. <laughs> it's almost, do you think that we're going to go through a phase of maybe several years before we go, oh, what have we done? 
Yes. And maybe start to circle back. I wonder. I love that you said that. Like, I haven't heard anyone talk about AI the way you do. So I'm really excited about your book because, yeah, I do believe that we might be a few years in and think, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I can see a huge campaign happening where a big group of people are looking to pull it back and say, enough is enough. This has gone too far. I do think that we're absolutely going to have that. I think it's important, though, to have both of those perspectives. It's yeah. Sadly, it's become like the vaccine debate. It's become one of the hot topics where we need to see this in black and white. This isn't just straightforward. Amy, with your book, I, first of all, I say this and it sounds weird to say, I'm so proud of you because oh, I'm just following your career. If it yeah. sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but oh. I'm proud of you, of everything that you've done. Thank you. What does the next few years look like for you? So speaking of loving my team and loving the people on my team and appreciating them, I'm looking to move away from a personal brand and into a company brand. I don't know exactly when I'll do it and I don't know exactly how to do it, but it's no longer about me. I started out with amyporterfield.com and look at me go and this is what I did and I can teach you how to do what I did and all of that has worked really well. But now I think that there's new voices coming up. I'm getting older <laughs> and I want to shine a light on these new voices, but I'd love to be the leader of that. I always love to be the leader and be the <laughs> boss of things. And so I think it's time for me to make that transition. I'm very nervous about it, but our courses do amazingly well. They help people. And if we can get out there in a bigger way, because it won't just be me doing all the talking and teaching, I'm excited about it. So yeah, we're looking to transition to a company brand. Awesome. Thank you, Amy, so much. I've waited over 10 years to meet you. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this thank is you. Cool. This is so cool. I love that we got to connect. Congratulations yeah. on your upcoming book. I am going to be one that will shout it from the rooftops. I'm very excited about it. And thank you for having this conversation with me. I was genuinely nervous because obviously I'm not an expert and I'm not a super techie kind of person, but the conversations you're having are important and I, I'm just really honored to be a part of it. Learn more about Amy Porterfield at amyporterfield.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Beyond Unstoppable and visit thewolfbookhub.com for your exclusive sneak peek of The Wolf is at the Door.